Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber, the game hotline. 337-706-0111-706-0111 on this Friday. Great victories by the Cajun men and women's basketball team last night. But, and we'll talk about that later. Lots to say about that. Um, But we have to start with the news that broke after we left the show yesterday having to do with the Saints and the decision to keep Pete Cormichael as the offensive coordinator. Got lots to say about that. Um, One of them is, like most Saints fans, when you've come off two straight years of being not good offensively, and, you know, where quarterback is a problem and you, and you and somehow you made a decision going into two seasons ago that you didn't need a running back and just misuse of 41 and no possession receivers and nobody can catch the football and and and, and fumbling and offensive line injury after offensive line injury after offensive line injury all the issues that the, this offense has had the last 2 years it just having a change would have helped mentally, I think, a lot of people. It would have given hope mentally mentally to a lot of people. But and and I would have been excited too as well. But again, I, I one of the things I fight against is the is the result oriented mentality. I fight against that all the time. And we all get caught up in it at some point. I get caught up in it too. But some people, it's all they know. It's, all, it's the only way they can think. Here's the problem with the result-oriented situa- uh, mentality in this kind of a situation when you're trying to evaluate, um, you know, an offensive coordinator and if there's any hope and is he all to blame and all that kind of stuff, is if you're a result-oriented thinker, then it you, you you don't really ever get to the point of understanding that sometimes, not always, maybe not even most of the time, but sometimes if you get more weapons, you can do a better job. Also, you don't really get, if you have fewer weapons, then you, do, you would do a worse job. Result-oriented thinkers don't think that. It's the result-oriented thinker that's trying to tell me that Aaron Rodgers slipped dramatically as a quarterback this year. I heard people talk about how he um, might be washed up. Like, to even think that, the, the fact that that statement was discussed repeatedly this year 
how much he slipped, and is he close to being washed up, shows you the the real problem with the result-oriented mentality. It's, it's just flawed. Aaron Rodgers didn't play well this year because it's a team game. He had young receivers and he in and, and he, you know, he wasn't there a lot early on. Tom Brady wasn't there a lot early on. They had and he had the same veteran um he had even more talented receiver than he had last year, Tom Brady. But it's a team game. It has to do with preparation and by the end of the year, the Packers offense had made progress. And I think he's going to stay, and, and 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 they'll probably be pretty good next year if he does. But it's a the 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 the, menta- the idea that Aaron Rodgers is way worse than he was last year is stupid. It's stupid. It's a team. It's not just about Aaron Rodgers. He he happened to lose arguably the best wide receiver in football. That's why he didn't look good. It's just amazing. So that's the problem with the result-oriented thinking. So, P. Carmichael. Well, how can he? The I. There's. I know. I've heard a lot of people say, "Yeah, well, there's no hope. How's it going to get better?" Well, first of all, what do you mean? How's it going to get better? It's just. It would be his second year as offensive. Well, he's actually been the offensive coordinator for. It'd be the for for like twenty years almost. But but it would be his second year as the primary pay caller. So how many people don't improve? Well, actually, be a stir because he was the primary play caller during uh, the Bounty Gate year. But how, first of all, how many people don't improve in their job from year one to two? How many people don't? Like, if you're trying hard, you that's where you're going to really make a lot of improvement, theoretically. Second of all, how is it going to be different? I heard that a lot yesterday. How is it going to be different? How is it going to be different? How, how, how do you make it different? Well, one, you get a defensive tackle that can tackle someone on the run and, and stop the run better. Two, you get safeties who at the end of the year were pretty good and for the first half of the season were miserable, terrible. The defense was a sieve the first half of the season. How, how do you make P. Carmichael better? Well, your defense is not a sieve. That's one of them. It's a team game, people. How do you you make him better? Well, you get a running back that can run in the middle and utilize 41 the way the idea that P. Carmichael, I don't get this from people, the idea that P. Carmichael said, you know what, Dennis Allen, you know what, Mickey Loomis? This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna make we're we're not gonna throw the ball to forty one. We want him to be our dump truck, and we don't want a running a running game. So we're not gonna we're gonna cut Latavius Murray. He didn't tell. Cas Casper did that, by the way. He wasn't even Dennis Allen. We're gonna cut Latavius Murray because we don't we want forty one to be our dump truck. Pete Carmichael didn't do that. If you think Pete Carmichael made that decision, you're crazy. Pete Carmichael didn't do that. Pete Carmichael is not the one that signed Andy Dalton to Crawfish. 
And I don't even, I doubt very seriously, maybe it's a lot to do with this part of it. I doubt very seriously Pete Carmichael was the one that decided to play Andy Dalton. That's possible that he did. But Dennis Allen made that decision. I, do, I really don't think Pete Carmichael made, even made that decision. Pete Carmichael had nothing to do. Well, maybe a little bit to do with Michael Thomas staying in the game three years ago in mop-up duty. Unless Casper says, Pete, you tell me when, unless he tells him that, then it's, that's not on him either. In other words, he had nothing to do with the fact that he had no possession receivers all season. He didn't sign Jarvis Landry, and he didn't get Jarvis Landry hurt again. So we had an offense this season with a crawfish at quarterback. You have a third, a, 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 a um, you know, a Z28, as we say on this show, that we tried to make into a dump truck in ultimate stupidity. We had no, zero, zero possession receivers all season. The two guys who were going to be possession receivers hardly played at all. All season. So how, well, you know, I hear this, the definition of insanity, and how is there any hope? What are y'all talking about? How about, how about they get a real NFL quarterback, not a backup, to start, which they may not be able to do. But how about you give me a quarterback how about you make 41 what he's supposed to be and get an, a real NFL downhill runner at running back? How about you do that? How about you get me an, a, a, a possession receiver? Again, none of this has to do with Pete Carmichael. And look, I'm not like the greatest. I, I've, I've got frustrated with the offense all year as, long, as well, but this idea that Pete Carmichael is the problem. Folks, I am way more worried way more worried about Dennis Allen as a head coach than I am Pete Carmichael as an offensive coordinator. Pete Carmichael did not have a lot to work with this year. I just pointed out all the obstacles. And I don't and I don't know how many of these obstacles are his doing. Now that doesn't mean he that doesn't mean he doesn't have issues. He has issues as an offense. They have got to figure out how to score in the red zone. But again Maybe having Crawfish at quarterback is a huge part of that. Maybe not having a possession receiver is a huge part of that. Maybe having a finesse running back try to act like a dump truck is a huge part of that. Maybe having offensive linemen constantly out with injury is a huge part of that. You think? Maybe that it might have something to do with it. So, no, look, no question. They have got to figure out how to be better in the red zone. But let me give you all something. Sean Casper the quitter, they had years where they weren't good in the red zone, and they had to make adjustments. You have to do it. They weren't always good in the red zone every year Casper was calling plays for the Saints. I also, what is the other biggest problem with this offense this year? How, how can it get any better? How can there be any hope? How about you get a field goal kicker who's not the complete idiot? 
How about you get a field goal kicker that can kick the ball through the uprights? Do you realize it's not Pete Carmichael's fault that the Saints had the worst kicker in the National Football League this year? Statistically, that moron was the worst kicker in the National Football League this year. The worst. He had the lowest percentage. How about how about that might help an offensive coordinator do his job? Have a kicker who can kick the ball through the big H. That's another problem. So all of these things play into whether on our perception of whether an offensive coordinator is doing his job or not. And, Mo, and, and Pete Carmichael ain't got nothing to do with the fact that Will Lutz is an idiot. He has nothing to do with that. So if you get him a kicker that, that, that kicks well, you get me a defensive tackle that can stop a run, you get me safeties now that theoretically, if they come back the second year, have an idea what they're doing. They were completely clueless the first half of the season. Completely clueless. You get me a possession receiver, which they haven't had, they didn't have one all year this year. None. No possession receivers. You get me a real downhill running back. And then if you fail, then, but I mean, there, there's all kind of reasons. Why they could get better at if you give them some weapons. So the idea that you can't sit in a room, the idea that you can't sit in a room and figure out, well, maybe this was the problem and that was the problem and this was the problem. And if we solve some of these issues, maybe he's okay. That that so many people that I heard yesterday can't fathom that as a real possibility with them. I mean, you just you're just being blind you're just being closed-minded result-oriented thinker that's all you're being you can't see past what's in your face all of those things could happen now is it possible that if you give him all those things he'll still fail yeah it's also possible you bring in greg roman or someone else and they would have the same problem i mean uh, we don't know but you got to fix the issues. I think the it the idea that the issue, the real problem here is Pete Carmichael. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to say that. I, they, he, he had, he was playing without, with more than just one hand behind his back. Now the other thing that he's got to do is many, 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 many games this year. They came out with a great game plan. Their, their pre-game game plan was fabulous. And then by the second half, it just faded. So, like, they've got to figure out a way. they got to play better in the second half. Their adjusted game plan or whatever you want to call it has got to get better. So they got to get better in the red zone, and they've got to do a better job of not fading offensively after their pre after outcoaching the opposing defensive coordinator in the first half. they got to be able to do it in the second half as well. All of that is true. I'm not saying there aren't issues and serious issues potentially. But this idea that, you know, it is what it is and running it back is the stupidest thing of all time. I, again, I'm more, I'm way more worried about Dennis Allen because Dennis Allen is making a lot of these decisions, not Pete Carmichael. I'm way more worried about Dennis Allen than I am Pete, Pete Carmichael. Way more worried. Way more worried. All right. We'll get to your, resp- your, your questions. First, we're going to uh, talk to Nick, and we might talk some Saints with Nick as well, because, but we're going to be talking a little Pelicans, and then we'll have the segment after that 
where we can get your phone calls on any Pete Carmichael or anything else you'd like to discuss. We'll take a time out. We'll be back on the game. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our friend Nick Fontenot. How are you, sir? Uh, not with us. We'll try to get Nick back. Um, again, I would have liked to get, you know, some genius offensive coordinator. But um, trust me, if all those other things don't get fixed, they don't find a possession receiver, they don't fix the court, get reach some sort of resolution at the quarterback position, they don't figure out a way to make 41 what he's supposed to be in, instead of a dump truck, they don't, the safeties don't play any better the, for, for half the season. They don't get a defensive tackle that can stop the run, and they don't get a kicker who can make the ball, make field goals. It's not going to matter who the offensive coordinator is. It will not matter who the offensive coordinator is. If you don't get a possession receiver, find a kicker, resolve the quarterback situation. You got to do it. And it's not going to matter who the offensive coordinator is. Got to do those things, and to, and to just assume that he can't be effective if most of those things are taken care of is just it's just being blind. Uh, it's just it's unfair, and you have no idea if it's accurate or not because he's never been in that situation. All right, let's uh, try Nick again. Hello, what's up, Kevin? Oh, I don't know. It's just I, again when I'm in no man's land. And it, it, I just it, 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 Casper needs to figure out what he's going to do and do it because uh, this no man's land stuff's driving me crazy. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's dragging on, and the longer it drags on, the more it seems like it's just not going to happen, and we're going to have to do it again next year. Speaking of dragging on, and we're going to try to. This is intended to be a Pelican segment. I'm sure we're going to talk about the Saints as well. But as a Saints F- Pelican fan. Is it harder to be patient with the Pelicans because of the last two years of being a Saints fan? <laughs> I, I didn't think that's where you were going with that one. Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I, I think I think that we have some. We finally have some expectations with the Pelicans. I don't think there ever was any real expectations of being a Pelicans fan. It was just kind of fun being a Pelicans fan. You didn't really feel like they were going to win a championship if they made the playoffs that was great and now as we are in this I guess era of being a Pelicans fan where a championship is seemingly a real possibility um, it it is getting more difficult to be patient with like the Brandon Ingram injury like it's pretty common knowledge that he probably should be playing right now but he's not so that's a little bit more frustrating whereas in years past maybe you just say well, you know, they're not going to win a championship, so just let him be right. Where now, 
now I'm more inclined to be like, all right, dude, let's 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 get on the court and see what you got. So uh, I don't know if the Saints uh, play into that, if my mentality with the Saints play into that, but it's possible. So right now it's got to be a little frustrating because, I mean, it's almost nothing that you can say about the Pelicans right now. Until these guys come back, at least two of them, you know, what are you evaluating? I mean, it's hard to know. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not important because guys can develop confidence and when when they go back to being complimentary players, they can be better at their complimentary roles. There's no question all that could happen. But right now it's like there's not it, – it, it's almost futile to overanalyze what you're watching right now. These guys that are on the court now have taken us as far as they can take us. Like this is we're, – we're, we're at the point where until we get – Zion and Brandon Ingram back, you're right. We're not going to be able to evaluate much. I think that we talked about it last week. It's kind of the same thing where, you know, when you play those lesser teams, you're you're probably going to be able to have enough to win. When you play good teams, you're not. Um, we saw that against Miami. They had the, That was the worst game of the season. They just – it wasn't even that Miami was more talented. Miami just knows their identity. They know exactly who they are. And right now the Pelicans don't. And, and you're without your big two. And so they really look like a team – that's missing their two best players, and 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 that's and that's where you go with with the CJ McCollum thing, where he's being asked to be the primary scorer, and that's just really not where he's strong. He can do it, he can he can lead you in scoring. He, he's doing it now, and, and he can lead you to some wins. He's doing that also, but when you play those elite teams, it's just it's almost impossible to to win. Uh, Monday against the Cavs, they were in it to the fourth quarter, and then they just ran out of gas. Like, that's what's going to happen when you play these good teams. So you're absolutely right. It's really hard to evaluate, and I think the, the guys that we have on the court now have taken us exactly where we're going to go, and now it's either the, two, the big two comes back or it's going to be much of this for the rest of the season. How confident are you that the head coach, who has been highly respected and everyone gives him a ton of credit, has the personality to handle this situation? Great question. I, uh, I, I'm kind of not. You know, I love him. I, I think he's great. I think he brought a great uh, winning culture and attitude to the team, much needed shot in the arm. But, yeah, there's something missing there. And, and I, I was saying that early in last season whenever this, the Pelicans were struggling. Now they ended up making that, that strong push at the end and, and winning, making the playoffs, and, and that was all fun and good. And he had that good rah-rah speech during the play-in game that got everybody fired up. But, but, yeah, absolutely. There's something missing. Is it an it factor? I hate that it factor thing, but it kind of seems like it might be uh, something where he, he might not be the guy to push us all the way to the top. But similar to Dennis Allen, where, you know, when you and I talked about Dennis Allen and, and you say the players love him and the players play for him, I think there's a lot of that going on with the Pelicans too. The players love the guy, and they're playing for him hard. And so as long as that's happening, as long as we're not seeing – uh, some deficiencies in the gameplay, I think you got to roll with him. And, and possibly I could be wrong where I think that he's not a guy that could take us to a championship. But but the players love him. And if the players love him, then I kind of got to be behind him. So that's kind of where I am with it. Well, and I don't know about – I mean, I don't – I mean, I think it's we, – we haven't even gotten to the point where you can really evaluate where you could take you to the championship. But I'm talking about, like, getting you through this rough stretch – when you're obviously shorthanded and keeping everybody heading in the right direction and not let negativity get into this situation. He admitted failure 
after the Miami game, the post-game press conference, he admitted that that game was on him, and that was the worst performance of the year. The, the team was not ready to play, 100%. And he stood up there, and he took the blame, and he said, hey, I got I to get these guys better, and I got to do better. And I anticipate them playing better tonight against Orlando. Now, I, I'm not saying they're going to beat Orlando. I just think they're going to be they're going to play better. They're going to be better prepared. I think he admitted and accepted and saw that, you know, they, they weren't ready, and that was partially his, his job. So I think he's he might be the guy that can that can get him through through this stretch. I, I don't I don't have it. I'm not losing confidence in him in him at all. And, and I think the the way he reacted, he was very despondent, very like just disgusted at the way the team played, and they, and he took the most of it on himself. And you can tell when coaches are just telling you that, or when they really feel like it was their fault. And I really think he felt like it was it was his fault. So we'll just have to see how they respond. Uh, tonight and moving forward, but that that game against the Heat was just was awful, and I think that he recognized that. Yeah, and look, I I, I know it was probably not fun to go through, but you in, in an NBA season, if you're playing well, you're going to have a handful of stink stinker performances anyway. So I, I I wouldn't be too worried about that. Now, at what point? Is it going to get, or are you already at the point where you're just okay? This is enough with with like the Ingram situation and even Zion, like is, do you have like, man, they better be back by this. Like, do you have like a target date? And, and if it gets beyond that, then you're really going to start getting concerned about what, what the future holds there. I'm kind of already there with, with Ingram. I, I, he can, he can be partially to blame for every loss that the Pelicans have from here until he comes back because he should be playing. Now I know he's not a hundred percent right. But it's also there's. I think we heard Christian Clark uh, talking to RP3. There's no structural damage in the foot, so it's it's not it's not something that needs to heal. He just wants to be a hundred percent. Well, look, I mean, if you're eighty percent, ninety percent, if there's no, you know, no uh, threat of you further injuring this this toe, we need to be playing out there. Like you're seeing your guys struggling, and I think we're seeing also seeing CJ McCollum getting frustrated too. He's like, he knows there's a guy on the bench that should be playing a really high-value player that should be on the court helping him out while the Pelicans are out there struggling and losing these games, he's getting frustrated, and, and I'm getting frustrated, and I'm kind of there yet. Until he plays, I, I heard maybe the end of the month, maybe like January 28th, I think we were kind of targeting that for his return. I mean, he has to be back by then. If, if he's not, then it's almost like, what are you doing? Somebody say something. Somebody give us a hard uh, target date of him coming back because at this point I feel like he should be back and he's kind of he's kind of milking it a little bit and I think the players on the court are getting frustrated as well and once that happens you start having performances like what happened the other night against the Heat. All right, so when we talk next Friday, I mean we might by then know what's going on with Casper. What's your prediction? I really think he's going to go to the Broncos. I, I just think that makes the most sense. I don't think Russell Wilson is done. I think he it, a lot of I want to say all of it was Nathaniel Hackett's fault, but a lot of it was where he was just out of his element. He wasn't the guy for the job, and, and putting a new a new head coach with a new quarterback in a, in a new spot was almost like a recipe for disaster. So I think what you've been saying it for years how the the Broncos are ready, they're talented, they have all the talent in the world. That that didn't change. They added a, a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback. So. I think Sean Payton's looking at that and be like, hey, we can 
if we can't win immediately, within two or three years, we can do that. And they have all of the uh, resources as far as the, you know, the Walmart money. Everybody talks about that and all the money that with the new ownership. So I think it's going to be Denver. Then after Denver, I say Arizona. And then after that, I think he just goes back to Fox. So if he doesn't take the Broncos job, none of these other jobs really, I think, are really enticing to him. What if he goes to the Arnolds? Well, I, that would not be good. I, I don't. I, if he goes, if he goes to them, then I think we get the biggest return as far as you know payment goes. Because I think the Saints will, like you said, play hardball with them a little more than other teams. But I, I just think playing him twice a year, his familiarity with everything that we do, especially with the the players that we have now, I, I don't I don't like that because right now I think the Panthers are probably the team that we match up against the best. And and I think all that would change if he goes there. So I, I don't want him to go there, and I don't think that's a realistic possibility. He, he, I mean, I think he's just anybody that's an opening. He's saying, "Yeah, I'd go there, I'd go there," but I don't think he's realistic thinking about going to Carolina. I, I, just, I mean, I, I, me. I no, hope I, you're right. Now, if know. he does, though, he's public enemy number one. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. If you quit on the Saints to go coach a division rival, yeah, yeah, I, I, public I, I, enemy I number one for you at that point. He might yeah, have, he he we we might have to change his nickname from Casper to Dillinger. Yeah, every right. every time he comes to New Orleans, it's going to be the worst uh, experience of his life. He's going to get it from from all angles. He needs it. He he would deserve it. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, some things change Saints wise and and Pelican wise or both by next Friday. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. All right. All right, Floyd. Thanks, man. All right. So for those of you who were trying to call in the first segment. After this timeout, it'd be the time to call. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. We'll get back to a little more Saints talk. We'll see if we don't get to UL basketball in this segment. We'll do it in the next hour, but we'll be back after this timeout on the Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Which NFL MVP annoys Kevin Foote the most? Who is Aaron Rodgers? He's the most arrogant athlete I've ever seen. I think he's really, to his core, that arrogant. He really believes, why in the world are you even speaking to me? You are a lower form of human being. That kind of arrogance is what I'm talking about, and I think that's who Aaron Rodgers is. That is correct. Now, back to more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's Sports Station. Station. Welcome back. Just think about it. When that song came out, Dick Nolan was the head coach at New Orleans Saints. I love putting stuff in that perspective. Anyway, want to remind you if you would like, if you're considering a career change and you would like to have some of the fun that we have at Delta Media with any type of sales experience from retail to telemarketing, anything in between, Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to sales director John Ed Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or give her a call at 337-896-1600-896-1600. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. What's going on, Brother Kale? Oh, big week for you. I know a big week for you. I can tell you right now I ain't watching. I can't put myself through it, but should be an interesting game. Yeah, yeah, man. Them cowboy fans, I tell them, they deep out there, Kelvin. They deep, man. 
I saw a screen today where they had four guys on ESPN and three of them picked the Cowboys. I'm like, how in the world? You're talking about being a prisoner of the moment. I, I, I just – now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but how could – how could three out of four pick the Cowboys? I just don't get that. Because, you see, I watch, I watch every game with them Niners and tell them when you got a rookie, he's still a rookie quarterback. He just didn't play like a rookie. That's a difference. So it only takes one time to play like a rookie. So I'm just hoping Shanahan don't put him in a spot, but Dallas defense might do it, you know, try to stop the run. Then he got to throw 30, 40 times, and we never know. You know what I'm saying? So – I don't know. I know. Th- I know they made Tom. I- I'm just wondering if Tom Brady, if Tampa's that bad, or Dallas was just that good. Tampa's so I don't know. Tampa's been bad offensively all year. I- Plus, I'm telling you, I really think Tampa was done. I-, I think a lot of guys on that team were relieved when that season was over. I don't. I don't think they were in hot pursuit. So you're not buying the- how Dallas played. No, I, I, I say you got to throw that out. Like I, that. Now, look, I'm not saying Dallas is as bad as they were the week before against the Commanders. That was a mirage, too. But but that was just as much of a mirage in one direction as the Yucks game was in the other direction. They're not going to go up and down the field on, on your defense Sunday. I mean, that ain't going to happen. That doesn't mean so they can't gonna, win. They're not going to watch it, Kevin? Oh, no. No way. No way I watch that game. But you, you, you don't like, okay, I, I, I understand the Niners with you. It's but too painful. But you don't painful. have a problem with that, or you have a problem with that. Like, I never hear you talk oh, about that. Oh, I got, again, I, I grew up pulling for the Cowboys, but I stopped pulling for them the minute Stalin became their coach. I, oh, I, I, okay. I'm done, I'm done, I was done with them the minute they named, I mean, that was just, you can't get more low than that. And so, uh, no, I don't, I don't pull for them. I, I, I don't, it's too, it's too much. You know the Cowboys are, you know, their their own little entity with the national me. I just, I, it's too much frustration. No way I can watch that game. No way. Okay, now I got one more question. I'm gonna hang up and listen. Um, your wife, she um, she's a Denver Bronco fan, right? Right. Correct. Okay, so if Sean Payton go there, it's like you have more beef. Like like with that situation, or it's like it doesn't matter. I got no problem with him going there. I want him to go there. I don't I don't I think if he goes there he's going there for one reason cuz Walmart gave him 20 million dollars. I mean and he can't pass that up over, you know, making between 80 and 100 million over a four-year period. I think the money is the only reason he goes to Denver. But 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 again, if they really offer him 20 something a year, you're going to how are you going to turn that down? So I I no, I got no issue with it. I hope he goes there. I want him to go to Denver on both fronts, from a Saint point of view and a Bronco point of view. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I thought the same thing, but from a listener standpoint, you know, you're going to have – you comment on the Broncos more than – besides the Saints, <clears throat> more than any other team. And if he was the coach, you'd be – you'd just add an element of uh, another layer, you know, because you have right. familiarity with him. But uh, the point I wanted to make about the Pete Carmichael thing is that, uh, you know, it's kind of like the uh, term blitz. Like, blitz means the people that actual offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, it's a secondary player, pass rushing, a cornerback or a safety. But people just say blitz whenever they see 
a, a linebacker are coming, you know. And uh, the point is, it's just terminology. It's just tomato, tomato, basically. But Pete Carmichael staying on as the coordinator, and that's the job that he always had. He's a coordinator. It's just this year and in the uh, Bounty Gate year, he actually played with the play caller, which was normally Casper's job. So I'm fine with Carmichael staying on as coordinator. I want a different play caller. And I kind of hope the Bills lose uh, this weekend. So maybe we can take a run at Joe Brady to be the play caller with the intent of upgrading slash uh, being more aggressive on offense. Yeah, but I, I don't yeah. think there's any – I don't think – the only way for that to ha- – I mean, the only way that your offensive coordinator is not going to call plays is if your head coach is calling the plays, and that's not going to happen. Well, right. it's kind of like the a coordinator is more the guy that does a lot of the work uh, during the week, whereas the play caller – I used to uh, – there's a lot of things I used to think, like what's the difference between a coordinator and a play caller? A play caller calls the plays, but a coordinator – there's so many moving parts and – personnel and formations that a coordinator you split the job up some some teams they have two offensive line coaches one coach only focuses on technique and the other coach only focuses on uh scheme you know it's just there's too much no i I get that i just don't know mechanism wise if your head coach is not calling the plays who is going to call your plays if it's not the offensive coordinator if it's not the head coach like what position is going to do that the, the play caller slash quarterbacks coach, you know, well, it's just, it's, there's a million ways to do it. And that's the point I'm trying to get at with uh, Joe Brady. And it, and another guy, uh, Lombardi got fired from the chargers. Yes. If he came back, that would be his third tread coming back. Cause he was with the lions and the uh, Matt Stafford era. But anyway, Lombardi and the chargers, their offense was upper echelon. It was top, you know, whatever, 10, 15 in the league. It's just whenever a head coach is on the hot seat, they fire the coordinators because I'm not getting fired, but you are. So that could be another option. But he had elite talent, and they thought he was too conservative. Well, Dennis Allen is conservative. That's the, the point is, like, we're, uh, the thing with offenses uh, this year all of a sudden seeming to, you know, not be as productive as usual, there's a lot of different aspects to it. A lot of it has to do with – for the last decade or so, the NFL has made a pocket passing game so protected. You can't hit them below the knees. You can't hit right. them in the head. You can't lay what you weight on them. But a lot of these runner quarterbacks, whenever you break the pocket, that all those rules go out the window. So, team, but the the era of like just straight West Coast, straight drop back, short passing game, <clears throat> it'll always have its place. It'll always be legitimate, but it's. It's heyday is past. It's been replaced with RPOs and play action. And uh, another part of it is the screen. Like, people were like, why aren't we throwing screens? And against Carolina, we started to throw a lot of screens. But whether it's game plan or personnel or whatever, a screen is a screen. And if a screen is snuffed out by the defense, you have nothing. There's no secondary option. Now, you can run two screens, but, like, uh, the, the Saints – in 2017, were great at batting balls down at the line like a volleyball game. And defenses have just snuffed out that sort of – that's what the NFL was for a long time, and the defenses 
have gotten really good at, at defending right. it. And we need to we just need to upgrade our offense via RPOs, via going no huddle, not all the time, but just well, first down, I've been, third down, I've been, fourth I've down. been calling for that. It, it just works. I've been calling for that for a decade, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I appreciate- real quick, if you, a pitcher, if a pitcher that takes his time to throw in between each pitch versus a pitcher that the second the ump says you can throw it, he throws it. You're messing with the batter's timing, right? Yeah. You don't want to do it all the time, but it's going to work sometimes. That is uh, true. Thanks, Kevin. No, I agree. Thank you for the call. No, again, I, I, I'm not um, – I, I don't think they would do that. I, I think he's either the play caller or, or you get rid of him. Now, the other thing that's, that's interesting is Mickey Loomis – because we were hearing this talk that if Casper gets a job, then he would take Carmichael with him. But Mickey Loomis has made it clear he's not going to approve any lateral moves. In other words, he's fine if the linebacker coach gets hired as an, a defensive coordinator somewhere or the quarterback get, coach gets hired as an offensive coordinator somewhere or one of the coordinators gets hired as a head coach. That's one thing. But Coordinator to coordinator, linebacker coach to linebacker coach, quarterback coach to quarterback coach. He's saying he's not, he's going to block. So, um, but no, I I don't. I just don't see a scenario where he's not the play caller as long as Dennis Allen is the head coach. And so again, there's no question what happened this year with the offense has got to improve. There's no question about that. But. I spent the whole first segment explaining all the ways it can improve, and none of them really have anything to do with Pete Carmichael. And the biggest thing of all is you just can't turn over the football, and you have to force turnovers. Look, folks, we overanalyze all this stuff. There are exceptions, but for the most part, it comes down to this. Do you turn over the football, and do you force turnovers? And the Saints were miserable at both of them this year. Now, you can say the offensive coordinator has something to do with that, but Pete Carmichael can't fix Mark Ingram. That cat's been playing in the league for 12 years. Hopefully, uh, Wes Chandler gets better and he stops fumbling the ball and dropping passes every time someone touches him, and, and you theoretically that's going to happen, but that's also not on Pete Carmichael. So there's a lot of things that have to improve that have nut to make Pete Carmichael look better that have nothing to do with Pete Carmichael. Nothing. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back, finish out the first hour on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. want to remind you, if you have an Amazon Alexa or Google Home speaker, you can add radio to your list of things that those devices make your life easier with. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing. Have the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles with you, home office, wherever you go. All right, so we've talked about the Pelicans with Nick. We've talked about the Saints and the decision yesterday to keep Pete Carmichael. And again, did I jump for joy? No. But I also understand that 
so many of the things that people blame Pete Carmichael for that that they wanted to happen didn't happen, and there are a lot of things that go into that. It's not just Pete Carmichael's ability. Now, again, did he frustrate me at times? Absolutely. In that Cleveland Brown game, I was like, "What are we? What are you doing?" But again, I still maintain. If you compare the way that Batman was used, now I'm talking about when Batman was quarterback. I'm talking about when Batman was bat playing the Batman role. That Pete Carmichael utilized Batman better than Casper did in the Batman role. Now, when Casper was there, a lot of the time he was actually the starting quarterback, which is a different scenario. And you could argue they should have done that this year. A lot of people did. But... When 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 you compare, I still say Pete Carmichael utilized Batman in the Batman role better than Casper did when he was just playing the Batman role when he wasn't a starting quarterback. So that gives me some hope that they kind of get it. They just he just didn't throw the ball enough. Now, if you if you get a legitimate NFL starting quarterback somehow in the offseason, and remember. I know people are worried about the, all the Saints are being too conservative. The Saints a year ago made a huge run at Deshaun Watson. A huge run. So if they get a legitimate NFL starting quarterback, that will solve a lot of that problem. Again, Crawfish was so limited. He did fine. He did better than I thought, but he was still limited. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, I will, you know, the first segment had a lot to get off my chest because I just hear a lot of things that really aggravate. But, um, but if you would like to get in, discuss the Pete Carmichael situation, anything to do with the Saints, anything to do with Casper, Cajun basketball, um, Pelicans, any of the things that we've discussed, NFL weekend. Here we go again. Uh, certainly would appreciate if you would uh, discuss any of the matchups. We talked a little bit about the Cowboys and the Cheaters again. Again, that's the game that so many people are fixated on around the country. Um. But really, I, I, I think in NFL history, and I'm just talking about this year, I'm talking about NFL history, it's, there's not too many matchups in this round that are juicier and have as many different layers and unusual layers to a game than Bengals-Bills. Uh, I, just, I just don't know what to think of that game. I think the Bills, the, the Bills are supposed to win. The Bengals were supposed to lose last week, and they didn't. They they got outplayed and they won. I mean, sometimes that happens. You get breaks, you know. On you know, it's getting to be where Joe Burrow's like Tom Brady. Like Joe Burrow is the reason why 
they forced a fumble and returned it 98 yards. If you listen to the to to the result oriented um, sports crowd, that he did that. You know, he was the one that stopped the third and one and the fourth and one at Tennessee last season. No, actually, he's been a he's played a complimentary role in all four of his playoff wins. He's been, he's played the complimentary role, and his defense and special teams have taken the lead roles in winning those games. If we want to really be honest about things, but people don't really look at stuff the way that they really are. But um, so, any of those thoughts? Certainly, feel free to give us a call. 706-0111. I do want to mention Cajun basketball because it did take place last night. And Jordan Brown at 31 points and 13 rebounds. That's the second time in the last three games they led from start to finish. And Arkansas State is not a great team. They're not. Not saying it was a great win because of the team they were playing. I think the women's win because of the team that we're playing was a better win on paper. But I'm saying it was a really good win because of what is it? They're in the mid- at the very end of an eight-road game out of a 10-game stretch. They're at the very end of a four-game road trip. And I don't know. I haven't heard if this is a fact or not. But I really think I got, I got trouble believing that they've ever won, been 4-0 on a four-game conference road trip. First of all, they haven't had four-game conference road trips very often. And it's, you know, it's not that often you're going to win all four if, if you do have them. So, I, you know, I... I just think it was a nice win because they're, they're, they're showing some mental toughness. Greg Williams didn't play in the second half. Hopefully he's okay. Apparently he got he got the rough part of the physical kind of confrontation on a, when he was screened, and they thought it was an illegal screen. I don't know. I wasn't watching the game at the time, so um, I don't know, but hopefully he's healthy. Michael Thomas was supposed to play last night. He didn't play, so they, they – you know, there's reason to believe they're going to get even better, one, when they come home and they get all their players back. And the, these guys are not theoretically supposed to be out for all that long. So there's a lot of reason. I, look, if, the, if I don't know if they're going to win it in San Marcos tomorrow because Texas State's a pretty good club. Like, they almost beat Marshall. That was a competitive game the whole way, and they ended up losing by eight. But that was a winnable game, and Marshall, I think, is good. But if the Cajuns win tomorrow, I think Monroe's going to lose. And what a great win by ULM last night. Went to Georgia Southern, won by 13. I don't think Georgia Southern is one of the best four or five teams in the league, even though they their record has said so. I think they're going to fade a little bit. But I, I think ULM's, their next three games are brutal. I thought they were going to lose all four, but they did win at Georgia State, at Georgia Southern last night. That's to their credit. And I think Southern Miss is going to lose to James Madison, very possibly. I thought they were going to lose to South Alabama last night, but they pulled out a close win. I really kind of think if the Cajuns win tomorrow, it's going to be them and Marshall tied for first, and they're going to be playing two weeks later in the Cajun home. That could be lots of fun. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning. I got. I have a couple quick thoughts on the, the Bengals' bills, and then I have a question that I want your opinion on, and I think it's – I'm going to stick my neck out there and uh, – 
possibly take the wrath of everyone who may say, oh, my God, did he ask that question? <laughs> First of all, I think, I mean, this game should be the AFC championship. I mean, it's a shame that it's getting played right now. Uh, well, but, the Chiefs might disagree with that. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, as bad as the Bills kind of looked and they kind of limped in, if if they uh, if they end up winning and the Chiefs route them in the championship, you know, uh, and I don't know, it kind of be a travesty. A lot of times, I guess the fact that there's three teams there that that should be in the AFC championship, I think they're all kind of equal. But the Bills are the ones kind of limping in. Um, my my question and my comment: How how do you feel about Demar Hamlin's effect emotionally and on the team? You know, I think, like you said, this guy may make some kind of appearance. He may make some kind of sideline appearance, or they may have him at, at you know, at, at center field, at midfield. Um, you know, the football world and the entire world, I was watching it live. I, I felt like I had watched a man pass away on live television. And we were all somber and pray, uh, prayed, and we very much – I wish the guy the best, and and he's going to have his moment where he comes back and he he lets everybody know, hey, I'm okay, I made it, um, and then it's gonna it's gonna pump the bills up. But past past that, how how many times do you think that he can we can have this storyline be the motivation for the bills and it still be done tactfully before people start saying, okay. Yeah, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't, no, I get what you're saying. I, I don't really yeah. know about, I think it's going to be fine for a while, but what I, I I'm, I'm wondering, cause look, you got to winning, winning as a team is more than just having talent and knowing what you're doing and having a good coach. There's, there's, there's gotta be this bond, this togetherness and this total singular focus about it. And I, I, I don't know this, but I, I've said it twice already. This I really have doubts if the Bills are the same football team that they were before this happened. They're obviously th- – there was a very jarring experience. It's all they've thought about, I'm sure, for the most part for the last two to three weeks. I don't think – I think they got – I think the their performance against the Patriots got covered up by two kickoff returns that are fluke situations, fluky things, and they looked terrible last week. So I, well, I, I don't I don't know that the Bills tell. are the same football team right now because yeah, of I mean, everything that happened. Are they not happened. the same football team yeah. because of DeMar Hammond? Are they not the same football team because they're just having troubles as a football team? So, you know, that – and then, you know, I, I really believe this guy deserves his his time to stand on the 50-yard line if that's the way they want to do it with a spotlight or have him – you know, whatever they want to do to, to show homage to this guy. I mean, he – we basically watched him pass away on live television, and he's alive, and he, he and it's gonna boost the bills. I just think that there's a very fine line between using that as a motivation for more than one or two weeks. You yeah. know, uh, if if this if this entire if this start begins to happen every week, I, I just kind of question how long can you tastefully do it. Um, or, well, I think some team, you know, some teams, if somebody passes away, it, that that's their motivation for an entire season. And so, again, yeah. this is a unique situation. Nobody has a a protocol to follow because we've never seen stuff like this before. Yeah. So, I, I it, think everybody's going to be sensitive to whatever they want to do. I, I think so, and I just and you know, I go back to I, I 
kind of think this should be the AFC championship. And, you know, um, but again, the bills are limping in. So if it's, I mean, if the chiefs, the chiefs are probably going to be in there. I don't, I don't think Jacksonville has any chance, but, um, that was that was just my my thought. I wanted to kind of run by you. You know, how long can you tastefully tastefully do that? No, I, I, uh, I understand. I I don't think they've gotten to that line yet. I, I think they'll be fine there, but that doesn't mean they're the same football team. I don't know. I'm I'm worried about them. We'll see how I, I it plays out. And I think it's just uh, the football team itself. I don't think it's emotional. I think they have some deficiencies. All right. Thanks for the call. And you see, they also have injuries, so that they're more injured, especially in the secondary. And they just, I, I don't know, I, I think there's just something about you got to have that singular, I don't know, that total focus, I think, as a team. And I, I just wonder, there's so many more things they've been focusing on than getting better as a football team over the last three weeks. I, I don't know. It might play to their favor, to Jared's point, but I think it's, um, I just have, I, I have some serious doubts there about the bill. So we'll see what happens. It, it, again, I just think that's a fascinating matchup. Really, it is. And, um, you know, the the Bengals, yes, last week, in the second half, they did nothing. Now, again, they're playing a division team. So can the Bills' defense, due to the Bengals' offense, what the Ravens did? I, I don't know if they can do that. They haven't been quite as good defensively of late because of some injuries and who knows what else. Um, how much can they duplicate it? You just you never know a team as much as a division team knows your team. Uh, and so, it again, all of those are just fascinating. Now, again, I think Jacksonville has a little better chance, but I don't give them. Than most, like, most people give them zero chance. I think they've got a creative head coach. I think they've got, as far as the offense, and I think their defense is pretty good. And the, and their defense has big playability. Now, again, for them to win, it's going to probably take a plus three. But they've done that kind of stuff, plus three stuff. Head up, I don't think they can beat the Chiefs. Just like I don't think the Cowboys can beat the Cheaters head up. I don't I, at all. I don't. Head up, I wouldn't give them much of a chance, just like I wouldn't give Jacksonville much of a chance. But that doesn't mean the game's going to be played head up. If they can get to a really good plus two or a plus three, then I think the Cowboys can win, and I and I and I think the um, the Jags can win. But if they're even, I don't. That would that would surprise me. But as they say, that's why they play the game. We'll take a timeout. We come back, shift gears. Well, we say shift gears. Got lots of things to discuss with our old friend Gerald. We haven't spoken in a while. Gerald Broussard on the other side on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers in the World Series champion, Houston Astros. It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching mop-up time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry. We have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our old friend we haven't spoken to in a while. We talked mostly about Cajun football, but I got so many things going through my head that I need some clarity. And a lot of times when I need clarity, I either give our my good friend Gerald Broussard a call and he can be a therapist for me. How are you, sir? You know, I'm going to start charging. <laughs> Especially now that you're putting it out there. I just, I mean, Julie works at a counseling firm now, and they could go pretty good rates. I'm just saying. <laughs> I got you. I understand. Well, first I, of all, well. how have you Happy been? New year to you. <laughs> how have you been? I've been good. I've been real good running the streets, playing grandpa, doing all the good stuff. You know, it, it's not, I've had a lot of fun. It's been a good time. All right, so I, I need you to help me try to f- clarify a few things. First of all, we talk about GMs and draft picks and all that. If the Denver Broncos really offer Casper between 20 and $25 million a year for four years, really, is he going to pass that up? I mean, really, realistically. I, I don't know how you can, but, but, but Kev, we got people that are dealing in funds that you and I don't, I mean, we can't even conceive. You know, I, I know that, um, you know, he, he's he's got a pretty good bank account for a guy who, you know, was Eastern Illinois guy and didn't ho- have a whole lot of a college career, you know, and then, and, and, uh, you know, bounced around a bit as an assistant. And then, you know, he's sitting around kind of – he doesn't need to do it. So, I get if anybody can afford to walk away from it waiting on something, what he would perceive to be better, he can, you know, but I uh, – you and I couldn't. There's no way, you know. So I, uh, you know, I, I just that th- that really worries me. The other thing that worries me is if he goes to the Ornals. Like, think of all the frustration I've had in the last two or three years as a Saints fan, just having to just for. And if he goes to the Ornals, do, do you see him doing that? I, I don't put anything past him. I know he interviewed in Texas too. I mean, why would you go to Houston? You know, I, 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 I don't just seeing what's happened there the past couple of years and really since they changed ownership and you just don't know what's going to happen with it. But, you know, you call them the Arnold's for a reason and it's, it's kind of like the Saints East, you know, <laughs> and it, 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 that would not, I mean, I wouldn't like it. Nobody would like it, but, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me with it. I, I and look, he he he's a he's the hottest guy out there, and and he did what he wanted to do. Took away, took a year off, walked away from it. Um, you know, I know that there's some questions about what's going to happen in New Orleans, what's going on with New Orleans, and all that kind of stuff. But but you know, he was in a situation where his his star was diminishing there in New Orleans. So walk away while you can, and you still got a great name instead of getting run out of there. And um, you know, it, it, it keeps him hot, and he's a hot commodity. I think you know, the timing was good, and, and, and heck, he he's pretty much can pick of what there is or wait. You know, I mean, everybody, the speculation of Dallas is always going to be there. And, uh, you know, can they sustain in Dallas? Will they sustain in Dallas? Or he can sit out and talk on TV for a little bit, wait another year, and, and see if the big heavy fella in Dallas can trip over his own toes. Well, if he goes to Orneville, I won't be the only one calling him the Arnolds. I'll just be the um, one that was, you know, decades ahead of everyone. But anyway, <laughs> all right, so I've got to ask you this question. I, I'm pretty sure you've told me this before, and I know Jake did years ago in an interview that how overrated. And this week it, it, it became 
uh, kind of a sideline story because Peyton and Eli, which I've never seen Peyton and Eli do their thing. I, I never have, but I, I've seen clips of it. And, you know, supposedly they went on this little mini rant how the most overrated thing in analysis in football is halftime adjustment. So if that's true, and I understand their point, how do you explain second-half game plans being so different than first-half game plans seemingly so often? Well, because what they did in the first half sucked. So you got to try something. You know, you're behind by, by 100. You got to try something. So you go in there. The problem is, is when the first pass has game plan, game plan is bad, you talk about waste a week. You know, because you sat there and prepared for it, and all of a sudden now you come in and the, the team that's, that's stopping everybody, why would you change? You don't know. You would anticipate. But I, I think what ends up happening is is that there, there is a – a lot of times what happens during the game is you get a feel for the actual speed and situation of the game. And then you come in there, you catch your breath, you relax a little bit, and you just say, hey, this ain't what we thought it was. It's not them, it's us. Try and calm yourself down, relax a little bit, go execute, and just try and simplify things. And, and uh, if you are, if you're playing uncharacteristically bad, and you just calm down, clear your head, go back to it, and, and a lot of times you can you can overcome that. If 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 the other team's just a lot better than you, well then things don't change. What we never hear about is those halftime adjustments that don't work. You know, teams getting beat at halftime, they go in and make all these adjustments. They come back, they get the break speed off of them anyway. You know, because they were just not going to win. Uh, but but no, I, I I think you see it, and then all of a sudden you just see people kind of calm down a little bit, relax a little bit, and start executing better. And it's it's not so much. So many times, Kevin, we say this all the time: more games are lost than won. Just stop doing the dumb stuff. Start doing what you're supposed to do, and usually things will work out if 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 you're meant to to be in the game anyway. And and you know you sit there in Jacksonville, uh, just talking with some other people, and you, and you know I'm terrible at predicting stuff. I really am. Uh, but this past week uh, I, I won five out of six. The only one I lost was, was the Carolina. I mean the the, the Charger game. In Jacksonville, where they're ahead, you know, by twenty-seven, <laughs> yeah, and they end up losing the game, you know, and that's the one I lose, you know, of all of them. I think you got to be. That, I went to bed. <laughs> that one was in the bag. Yeah, but anyhow, that's that's well, that's why you got to play all, you know, all four quarters, I guess. So, what, what, what's your feel or take on the whole keeping Pete Carmichael thing? I, I think. He had a backup quarterback at quarterback. He had a running back that should be a slash running back that's being used as a dump truck. He had no possession receiver. His his receivers and and, and um, running backs decided it, they needed to fumble a lot. So there was a lot, and the defense was terrible the first half of the season, and they had the worst field goal kicker in the league. So I think he had a lot of things working against him in addition to injured offensive linemen. Um, but they also didn't perform well. And they struggled in the red zone mightily, and they struggled in second halves mightily. So, what do you? How do? You, what, what do you take out of all that? Well, I think everything you said at the beginning of that makes it hard to do the part that you said at the end of that. You know, if 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 you're not playing with with good guys against other people's good guys, and and I know what they're going to say. Well, look what San Francisco does with Purdy and all that kind of stuff. But but you know that that's uh, Purdy wouldn't be doing what he's doing if he wasn't surrounded by who he's surrounded by. 
And, and I think that, that the key to it is, is surrounding people with an opportunity to be successful and then giving them a chance to be successful, whether it be the backup quarterback or your starting quarterback. I mean, you see what's happening with Tom Brady when they when they, his, his surrounding cast is, is diminished. And, and, and I, I think that it's hard to evaluate a coordinator. I mean, a couple of years ago, Byron Leftwich is winning the Super Bowl, and, 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 and now he's, he's fired. You know, and, and so it's hard to evaluate a coordinator when when he doesn't have all all the opportunities to be successful with with whoever that may be. Now, part of it is that he's been there a long time and he's been in the situation and title without actually doing the the calling of it and the game planning of it. With and I know he's he's heavily involved in the calling and heavily involved in the game plan, but he didn't he wasn't doing it without Sean Payton. And, 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 you know, when, when you got a guy like that that you can do it with and together, you know, things just change. I know when, when you have a, a, a head coach that's very involved and you sit there and you talk about the plan and you put the plan together and then all of a sudden that guy walks out and people start looking at you. Not that you're not capable of doing it, but, but there's, you all of a sudden don't get the assistance from the assist, the assistance from the assistance, uh, that you would have gotten because they're okay. You got to do handle that. Well, you know now, and, and with with that, all of that being said, it was a tough time to try and evaluate him. I was surprised they kept him, though. I don't mind telling. I really was surprised they kept him, and then maybe him and Dennis Allen have that kind of relationship where they will be together. But uh, you know, you got you got guys that are running around out there, and it, I don't care who you bring in, kept uh, if 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 you don't. If you don't have good players, it, it's hard to call good plays. No, 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 no question. So, do, do you like, you know, the? I think they looked at it and said, if we get better, if we do this, our problem this year was not the plays that were called. Our problem this year is we have no receivers that can catch. Like you realize how they they hardly caught any fifty fifty balls all year long. Like they don't even. That's, no one. But, but you're calling it 50-50. That's not 50-50. That's 20-80. That's a 20. You, you know, that's one of the cages used to throw some 50-50 balls up there to Jamal. And we said, that's not 50-50. That's 80-20. Nobody in the conference could, could match with him. But when your guys aren't as good as the guy you're throwing into those contested balls, it ain't 50-50 anymore. And so I think that's a, that's an ill-advised throw. I say the problem is not in that part of the building. The problem is in the guy who's providing them with the talent. Um, you know, you, you, you and, and look, we don't anticipate guys. You, you draft guys, you sign guys, you bring guys in because you think that obviously you don't say, well, let's go get this guy. He's really fast and runs great routes, but he can't catch. Well, no, you don't go sign that guy or sign a guy. Oh, he can really catch. The problem is he can't get open. Well, you don't sign him either. You know, you try and get a guy who can do both and make plays for you. And, and so, you know, but but that part of it is, is that's why it's, you know, we, we go back to the, the old saying, Jimmy's and Joe's, it's not about the X's and O's. you got to have players. And I just saw, and, and look, I, I don't live and die with the Saints the way you live and die with the Saints, but I watch them. And uh, Kevin, they were talent deficient. It just were. Do you, am I underrating or oh no, am I overrating? I should say the job that a coach can have in whether his players fumble or not. Yes, 
I mean, you can teach and you can preach and you can coach. And look, you got some guys are just apt to fumble. Well, then you don't play them. And, and I mean, because you know, there there's points of pressure, and you can go through it. You go through all the fumble drills, and and and. But we used to see it all the time too. And the old term he's carrying it like a loaf of bread. Remember that? Yeah. You know, guys would always carry it out in their hand, one hand, and swinging the ball around there. And then defenses, but that's when defenses were tackling. Then defenses stopped tackling, and then all of a sudden they started to strip it, and then they started to emphasize turnovers or takeaways. And so the defenses started going after the ball. Well, then all of a sudden ball security became imperative. And then all of a sudden the guy from freaking Lafayette goes up to the Bears and decides, I'm just going to start punching the ball out. Well, who had ever done that? So the old peanut punch comes in there. And now you got to protect from that because everybody's trying to peanut punch now. And, and, and so with all of that, and I think that, you know, you, you teach and you coach and you emphasize. And sooner or later, you, you get what you emphasize as a coach. So if you want ball security and if ball security is imperative for you to be able to play, well, the guy won't fumble because he knows if he fumbles, he don't get to play. So, you know, well, and maybe that, but again, they never continue they, they, to struggle through through the contact. The Saints never had a fumbling problem, and this year they couldn't stop fumbling. They stopped emphasizing, though. You got to. Well, then it is the coach, then. But no, you're right. I mean, coaches affected. Coaches affected by playing the guys who can't secure the football. (laughs) One guy told me in practice one time I was coaching receivers. He said. Well, you got to understand, Coach G, if you put me in there on Saturday, I'll catch everything. He said, I, not during the week, though. I said, well, my friend, we'll never know. Because if you drop everything during the week, we won't find out about Saturdays. Just ain't going to put you in. <laughs> this, that, that, that doesn't make sense. But So I guess to answer your question, yeah, no, you can affect it by playing them. Well, the other thing is, I'm also convinced that kicking field goals indoors is should not be difficult. <laughs> do you agree with that? You got one job to do. That's all we used to tell them. You got one job to do. The problem is, is, is that it takes three people to execute one job. And so, you know, the consistency of the snap, the hold, and the kick is something that ought to be, I mean, indoors and in perfect conditions and the way things are, yeah, it, it, it is different. It ought to be, they ought to have more consistency of it. Man, I'm sitting there watching the guy from Dallas and, and look, it was, uh, that was tough to, to watch now, <laughs> especially the reaction of everything going on. Now I find humor in it because it was Dallas and, and we all should, but I sit there and say that. And then I can hear every, Head coach I've ever been around. You got one job to do. You got one so so how, how how did Coach Stoke now Coach Stokely coached a lot of good kickers to be fair, but how did he handle that? Oh, dude, he was the worst. <laughs> he was the worst. He would start. He'd give you that look like he just ate a lemon. Yeah, and he'd moan. He'd moan at that. So everybody had a, a different special teams that they were assigned to and stuff. And at times, I had a field goal extra point. I tried to avoid it with a plague because he'd look at you like you as like Gerald missed it. Yeah. Like Coach ain't never kicked. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. And he'd have that pun him. And I, in fact, I, you guys, Troy Wingard, I took, I had a picture of him making that face and I put it on the cover of their, their playbook. 
Now, your job is to avoid this look. <laughs> You know, because he'd look at you with that pun on me. What do we do? He's got one job to do. And he would whine. And he said, would you tell him to kick it through the upline? <laughs> the coach did. And he said, well, how about asking him nicely? <laughs> I remember they talk about McNeese was playing at, at, at University of Miami the year before I got there. And uh, they were warming up, and the kicker was struggling before, and the, the guys in the stands hopping them, hey, bro, this ain't soccer. It goes over the bar, <laughs> over the bar. <laughs> And those poor guys take a beating. Coach Stokely, though, was the worst. <laughs> he was the worst. Because the problem with Coach Stokely was he probably could have gone do it. Everything that Coach Stokely did was easy. I mean, he he, he didn't hunt. And we go out to a hunting camp and, and kept start shooting skeet. And he hits like nine out of ten. And to be honest, we had had some beers. <laughs> and he, he's and so everything he just didn't understand. And you you'd miss a putt on the golf course, and he'd look at you. Oh boy, big boy, you suck. <laughs> so, okay, well, I'm sorry, Sergio. You know, all of a sudden he's but coach was good at everything. He just didn't understand all that stuff. But he blamed the guy who was coaching him for all the mistakes of the players. Well, I just hope that. Then before we speak again, that we get a little clarity because all this no man's land stuff is, is, is driving me crazy. <laughs> well, no, you need the insanity of the off season. I think you do. Uh, I'm anxious. I'm going to go to the Senior Bowl here in a couple weeks, for just for a day. I'm going to go watch a couple of practices out there. And I think the dynamics of the Senior Bowl in the stands is really cool to see who the coaches are interacting with. And stuff, and that's one of the things I always enjoyed was watching the coaches kind of mingle amongst who's among uh, mingling with who. A lot of them tend not to wear their colors because Kev, they're out there job hunting. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I look forward to the chaos of it. All right, sir. Good talking to you again. Thank you very much for your time. Have a nice day. Same to you, pal. Peace, Gerald Broussard. No, I, I think. I don't know. I just think there's something about the leadership of a coach that impacts a football team. And I think a plug-looking coach like Brian Dayball has proven that. All right, we will take a timeout, come back more with you on the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home, the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Old Tucktail. Tucktail. Noun. A former NFL coach who put his tail between his legs and went back to college, where it's easier to win. Also known as Nick Saban. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Again, the game hotline. If you would like to get in, 706-0111. 706-0111. Want to remind you to join the game clubhouse. If you do, you can win all kind of great prizes, such as $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lesser Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou. How about a 
$40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink and Broussard or a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Can't win any of those great prizes or other prizes that come up from time to time if you don't join the Game Clubhouse. Simple. It's free. So sign up today by going to 1037thegame.com. Or 1041thegame.com. All right, we have, let's go to the game hotline. Hello? Good morning. Good morning, sir. Kevin, I, I just figured out something last night. Jordan Brown's good. He No, he's good. And um, he, he's, he's gotten better. I like the fact that he's shooting free throws better. I like the fact that his rebound totals at times have been up. I was a little worried about him as a rebounder early on. He wasn't really getting a bunch of rebounds. Um, you know, he, he he's passing the ball a little more, so I think they're getting better at what to do when all these people are around him and they're trouble and triple teaming him. And I think they'll get better as Kobe kind of gets a little more into it. And when Michael Thomas gets back, but no, I, I, he's he's doing really well, no question. You know, they they were, were they third in the country in a field goal percentage of the, you know I think they'd be beyond, beyond Gonzaga, I think somebody else. And you know the reason why they got such a good field goal percentage because how their shots are layups. I mean, you know, when he gets the ball, they double teaming. They got I mean Lewis and. Uh, Will they? Everybody's cutting to the goal, and if they they cut, if they stop that, then uh, you got the people on the wings like Barnett just popping three pointers. I mean, it, it's a it's a pretty thing to watch when the when the when it's flowing good like that. Well, I mean, it's ever like Lewis is a guy. He doesn't shoot a lot, but he makes a high percentage because he he's great at making shots ten feet and in. And then the other reason is they take a lot of wide open threes. And Contrell Garnett is really good at making wide-open threes. So they're shooting a good three-point percentage because they're taking a lot of really good three-point shots. You know, after this weekend, uh, the, the Cajuns are going to have seven home games remaining, and uh, Marshall's only going to have four. And, like, they won't be like most of all the teams are going to have five, or, you know, some will have six. But the Cajuns are going to have seven home games left, and nobody's even going to be close to that. And Marshall would only four. I mean, that's pretty much going to – I think it's going to lead down if the Cajuns take care of business, and especially if they beat Marshall at home. They're going to be the distributor one seed, Kevin. I mean, I don't see Southern Miss hanging with uh, the Cajuns and Marshall. No, I, I don't think Southern Miss will. I definitely don't think Georgia Southern will, and I don't think Monroe will as well. So I agree with you. But, again, um, it would it would be humongous to, to go into that long home stretch of a lot of home games uh, with a win – at Texas State, but you figure when you play eight out of ten on the road, you're going to have like one or two just real stinker games, and they haven't really like, you know, they did they they did not play well in the first half against ODU, but really they should have beat Coastal. Like they that was just kind of a fluky deal where they didn't get to shoot any free throws. Uh, they should they led Coastal that whole game. They didn't really play that badly in that game. It's just the last three minutes didn't go well. So I hope they have enough left to play one more game, good game. And if they get this win tomorrow, they're sitting pretty. I agree with you. You know, what they've been doing lately, I mean, except for the South Alabama game, almost every game they jump out on top of all these teams. I mean, they did it against Southern Miss. They did it against ULM. They did it last night. They did it just jump out with a run right at the beginning of the game. And pretty much in the game right there before the first media timeout, it's been in those games in three cases. That's what's happened. And, you know, if they continue to have that, 
the emphasis at the beginning of the game, I think that's going to be good for them because they didn't have it against Coastal in their, their losses, you know. But if they come out with that urgency at the beginning of the game, I think they'll be fine. But have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. No, I, I, look, there's a lot to like about what the Cajuns are doing. And um, Jordan had a great game. Look, there's some teams that are going to match up really well on Jordan. But the thing that encouraged me, I don't know, five, six, seven games ago is Jordan had a couple games where he didn't really score that many points. And they were still winning because other people were scoring. So the number one thing, obviously, in any sport is staying healthy. For the most part, they've stayed relatively healthy this year. They've had the same starting lineup all year long. So that is good. Now, you know, I don't know how, how serious Greg's injury is or how much they hold him out. It seemed like Coach Marlin really thought Michael Thomas was going to play last night, and he didn't. Now, they won, so it's all good. I mean, he, he's getting more rest, and they won. So that's the best-case scenario. But, um, you know, Themis has ha- got a lot on his shoulders. And, you know, at times, he's turning the ball over. But at other times, he's getting, you know, 11 assists and rebounds and points. I mean, he's doing a lot. But there's a lot on his shoulder, and it would be nice if Mike Thomas could come back and relieve him of some of that burden just to make him more efficient. And if the matchup isn't great with him, um, you know, Mike's really good in the open court. And so if the matchup is not great for Themis, then it'd be nice for him not to be able to play quite as few more as as many minutes, and Mike could play more minutes. But right now, there's not a whole lot of choice there because Mike has missed six games. So hopefully, he can get back. The other thing I'm worried about is when you miss that many games, especially in concussion protocol, are you going to be the same when you get? Excuse me, when you get back, how long is it going to take to get back to where your your decision-making is where it needs to be, your endurance is where it needs to be, your chemistry and rhythm with your teammates is where it needs to be? Uh, a lot of times when you're out that many games, six games, seven games, or half a season, you know, coming back process is not always immediate, especially when you're a point guard and so much – of your success has to do with your communication and rhythm with your teammates. So that's a concern. I don't know that they can, you know, they might have to spoon feed Mike a little bit, depending on where he is. And he's been practicing supposedly well. So hopefully that that's a, that's an easy transition, but they need him. No question. They, you know, they need him long-term and hopefully that can happen. But no, if they went tomorrow, I expect when we come back, and they might surprise me. ULM surprised me last night. But I, I really kind of think if the Cages can win tomorrow, that six-way tie for first that we went into last night in, that was dwindled to a four-way tie for first, if the Cages can win, and we don't know. I mean, they've lost to Texas, that's Texas State before. But if the Cajuns can win, uh, I think it's going to be a two-way tie for first when we get here Monday morning. We'll see. That's why they play the game. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, finish out today's show next on the game. Whoa. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Other than the Chiefs and the Jags, which I think not just us on this show, most places around the country are probably talking about that game less than the others because they feel like there's more of a of a feeling that the Chiefs are going to win that game and that it's more one-sided than any of the other matchups. Um, but the other matchup we haven't talked a great deal about is the Eagles and the Midgets. And, you know, I really like the way the Giants are playing. It's a division game, so you never really know how that's going to work. I, um, How willing are the Eagles going to be to run the quarterback? He's got to run. Um, you know, he just... He, he he's a he's become a dynamic player, and you know as a Saints fan, I fear him greatly. He's become a dynamic player, but he hasn't been playing a lot. And when he plays, he had when he came back, he wasn't running a great deal. Can they run him? Will he get hurt? Will he stay healthy if he runs a lot? Because I think his ability to run is what potentially puts them over the top. Like. They can really get after the passer. But if they, the more three and outs you have, the more non-scoring drives you have, the harder it is to rush the passer. And, you know, and, and, and Daniel Jones can run. So he, he adds a little different element to the whole pass rushing. It's also easier to run the ball. The less impatient that the Giants feel on offense, the best chance, the better chance they have to win. So if they can play pretty good defense, then they're going to not take so many more chances on offense, which is not would not be good for them if they have to feel like they have to take chances, and they can be more patient and run the football more. And um, you know, if you go back and look, and I understand the intensity of of when you're playing for the number one seed in the second to last game of the regular season game of the year and you're playing in a second round of the playoffs, the intensity's a little better in the playoffs. But the Saints, you know, with all their offensive shortcomings, they moved the ball pretty consistently on the Eagles. Like if you rem- until Crawfish threw that interception at the very end with like two minutes to go, whatever it was in the first half, the Saints had moved the ball on every drive. So you can move the ball on them. Saints had a really good game plan. I coached him during the week. And then when Crawfish threw that interception, it's like, boom, everything just got – it all halted. And, and and the second half, once again, the Saints didn't do anything on offense. So you can move the ball on them if you can get yourself in position where they just can't pin their ears back and just dominate you with their elite pass rush. So it's going to – I think that's going to be a, a better game, especially if the Eagles don't run. Um. So we'll see how that plays out. So look, I'd, um, I'm again. I'm not going to watch the last game. I hope to see as much of the other three as I can, and we'll we'll see what happens. And hopefully, I don't know. Maybe could we find out something else about Casper between now and then? Hopefully, so y'all have a nice weekend.